Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience podcast with Jeanette Lissette. Thought leaders explore the mindset, wellness, and wealth needed to realize next level transformation. Let's get started. Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Lissette. And today's guest is Dr. Danny Purcell. He's the co-founder of ReadBetterIn67Steps.com, which is the world's leading online reading engagement program. And he's involved in so many things. He is definitely on a mission. Dr. Danny, I welcome you to the Next Chapter Experience. I'd love to have your input on all the different things that you're involved in and the directions that you're taking your consulting practice. Thank you, first of all, Jeanette, for having me and for spreading some joy in the world. We need a lot more of you. Your joy to my ears every time I hear you. Like you said, I'm Dr. Danny Brussell. My last name's really easy to remember how to spell. It's spelled like Braz Cell. No, I never took any grief over that as a child. And I'm on a mission to bring joy back into education in the workplace. I do that in four different realms. First of all, I speak over 100 days around the world to schools, to corporations, to nonprofits on how to keep all of their teams positively engaged. Second of all, and I think it will probably be the focus of our episode today, I'm the co-founder of the world's leading reading engagement program online. It's actually, it's now called thereadinghabit.com. And basically in just over two months, 60 seven days, I show parents how to get their kids to read more, read better, and most importantly, to love reading. Third of all, I work with entrepreneurs, small business owners, and executives on how to create powerful presentations that get their audience to take the next step, whether that's to purchase their product, to donate to their cause, or simply to invest in their idea. And finally, and this is my biggest passion right now, is I'm the North American CEO of Cyber Smarties, which is a program founded in Ireland in 2015 by my friend Dermot Hudner, which is a safe social media training platform for children ages 5 to 12 which teaches kids how to use social media in a positive way, and it really helps out their well-being. Basically, the program has completely eliminated cyberbullying in Ireland, and now the program is in India, it's in New Zealand, it's in Turkey, and I'm in charge of North America. And the way that works is if I were to write a message to you, uh, Jeanette, I think you're ugly and stupid. It won't let me send the message. Instead, it pops up on every bad word and says, that's not a nice thing to say to Jeanette. Here are some positive things you could say to Jeanette. And the research we've accumulated shows that it frustrates kids so much within three days, they stop sending negative messages altogether. It's like the same philosophy a veterinarian friend of mine has, is he always says, how do you cure a sick fish? You change its environment. So the way to promote positivity is to create an environment that only allows positivity. I know that you do a lot of speaking engagements. What does a typical day or month look like for you as you go about doing the work that you're passionate about? You've hit me at a crossroads, Jeanette. I've been putting a lot of time into Cyber Smarties, working with schools, because it's the only social media network that's been endorsed, not just by one police force, but by two. Nobody's actually been endorsed by a police force besides Cyber Smarties. So the Irish National Police Force And the New Zealand National Police Force have both endorsed the program because within just a couple of weeks, they see over a 60% drop in online predator activity and cyberbullying. We're the only social media platform where no adults are allowed. It's only kids on the platform. And so to verify that they're kids, the school actually has to verify that it's a kid. So when kids are writing negative messages, we could easily block the words 
but that doesn't teach the kid anything. They need to understand what they're saying is hurtful. And of course, we have AI looking at what they're writing, but we also have human monitors. The reason we have human monitors is, especially like a place here in America, uh, you'll have second language learners. Or you might have different kind of street talk that people don't understand. Is this positive or negative? And then it's interesting. The research shows that girls are a lot trickier than boys are very forward about it. And girls are not like that. They'll say, oh, so Jeanette, are you going to Loretta's party on Friday? That you weren't invited. It's a form of bullying. And then the thing that always freaks out parents is from ages five to eight, we show them the words. We we won't tell them what kids, actually, we don't even know the kids. We, We can show the data, but we don't actually track kids. We track classes. And it's fascinating to see the language that five-year-olds are bringing into the classroom. You're like, my goodness, a five-year-old said this. But a lot of it is the kids are just hearing it from their parents and from the environment. And so they don't even know what the words mean. And they're actually misusing some of the words. It's really interesting. But there's so many possibilities for this. I love it. I love it. It certainly gives me a much broader view of the work that you have been doing. I know that you're (laughs) author of several books. Your book, Leadership Begins with Motivation. And I had a thought about when I was reading more about you. I remember as a youngster in the public school system in the Bronx, New York, I was not a, a reader. In first grade, I was reading actually pictures and I was just interpreting the pictures that I was viewing. And the teachers caught on to it and they said, she's not really reading the words. She's just interpreting the pictures. So shared that with my mother. I had an older sister who was and is an avid reader still to this day. She took me to what we had in our neighborhood. It was called a bookmobile. It was like a library on wheels. Every Friday, it would show up at the same location, which was about a half a block from our house. And we would go there and pick out three to five books. She would pick her books that she would just devour over the weekend. And then she would select books for me. We did that habitually. And by the end of that first year of school, I was reading on the fourth grade level. So I know that for some people, the best way to become a better reader to some extent is to read. It's ironic I'm considered America's leading reading ambassador, Jeanette, because I grew up hating reading. My father was a librarian, and I always hated the public library. The furniture was always uncomfortable. It always smelled weird to me in the library. There was always some elderly woman telling me to be quiet. And there was always some freaky homeless guy hanging out by the bookshelves, thought he was a vampire. I always hated the library. And it wasn't until I started teaching in the inner city in South Central Los Angeles, where I saw a lot of my students didn't have the advantages that I had growing up. And I said, shame on me. I was blessed, Jeanette. Both of my parents were in the home. We were never wealthy, but we always had food on the table. My parents always read to us kids. They read in front of us kids, and we had plenty of access to reading materials. And really, that was the inspiration for what became the reading program I trained parents, how to get kids to just love reading. I think schools do an adequate job of teaching kids how to read. But the question I always ask people is, what good is it teaching kids how to read if they never want to read? I teach kids why to read because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch some television. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid, go read. I want them to choose to do it on their own because they love it. And that's what I love about your story with the bookmobile. I've actually asked now probably six figures, over 100,000 people, how did you learn how to read? And I've never once, Jeanette, had somebody say, oh, my grandma, Nana, she used to 
sit me on her lap on a rocking chair and we'd rock back and forth. And Nana, she'd smile to me and point at the words. I've never had somebody say, that's how they learned how to read. But I've heard the stories of my older sister or mama or granny or somebody. They took an interest and they'd read to me or they'd read with me. And it's just this magical experience. And that's what we're trying to create is magical experiences because human beings are pleasure-oriented creatures. We only do things that we want to do. So our trick mm-hmm. as parents, our trick as educators is how do we get kids to actually love this on their own? Yeah, as you were sharing, I was just thinking, back then, there wasn't very much to compete with reading outside of television or sometimes radio, because we listened to a lot of radio in my home growing up. In fact, for a while, we didn't have a TV. But nowadays, there's so many things that compete for children's and even adults' attention. In your programs, as you work with educators, parents, what do you think about how to balance the scales between all of the other ways that either attract us or distract us away from reading? That's a great question, Jeanette. It it cracks me up when I hear people say, oh, there's a lot of illiteracy today. I'm like, are you kidding me? The average American encounters more print in a single day than somebody that grew up in the 19th century group that encountered their entire lifetime. I'm a person that believes in embracing technology, not fearing technology. You and I had this discussion earlier. What do you prefer, Danny, old books or electronic books? And my answer, I'm old. At this point, chop off my head and count the rings. I like actual physical books. That being said, my wife loves everything on her Kindle. And let me give you arguments on why that's fantastic. First of all, she's from Singapore. And so every other year we we fly to Singapore. And while I'm packing 30 pounds of books in my backpack, she's packing a one pound, six ounce Kindle that has access to the entire world's library. Second of all, we both like to read in bed and it drives my wife crazy because I always have to turn on my reading lamp to read, whereas her Kindle illuminates itself. And third, again, I'm getting older, Jeanette, and so it's difficult for me to read a lot of things. With the Kindle, it's great because you can adjust the font size so people like me can actually read the text. So that's great. Let me give you a strategy, one of the most popular strategies I share with parents. I always tell people, I have a feeling television is here to stay. So again, let's embrace the technology. Let's not fear it. President Bush Sr. over 30 years years ago signed a very important law in the United States. It said every television set sold in America has to have closed captioning. So the first strategy I always share with parents is turn on the closed captioning. When I'm doing a live training, parents will say, wait a sec, if the show is in English and the subtitles are in English, what good does that do? I'm like, that's a fair point. Let me make a point, though. Have you ever watched a show with subtitles and not looked at those subtitles? It's very difficult to do. Your brain's actually directed towards the text. There's actual research that supports this. If you look at reading test scores around the world, the more kids watch TV, the lower their reading scores are in every single country on the planet, except for one. The country where the kids watch the most TV also has the highest reading scores in the world. It's Finland. And so people always ask me, how can that be? And I say, because Finland makes really bad TV shows. So what they have to do is they import all these old American sitcoms, like the Brady Bunch and Gilligan's Island. They have to uh, translate them into Finnish. The kids are constantly reading the screens. Turn on the closed captioning. It's one of the easiest ways to, to just introduce print 
all the time to kids. That's amazing. It, it tickles me because most recently I went to see Denzel Washington's most recent movie. The location was Italy and they were speaking Italian and I didn't see any subtitles. I thought, how are we going to follow this movie? Exactly. Subtitles and around <laughs> everybody else. I'm saying they seem to be engaged. I, I raised myself up like this and I saw the subs. <laughs> I appreciate what you're saying about that. That's great. <laughs> So with that said, how do we do this? I remember in high school, we were forced to read The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. No offense to people that love The Scarlet Letter. The story is about Hester Prynne. She commits adultery, and so she's forced to wear an A on her chest. Mm-hmm. Raising my hand in class and asking the teacher if I could wear a B on my chest because I was so bored reading this book. Here's a really important point I want everybody in your audience to hear. The research is very clear on this. It doesn't matter what you read. What matters is how much you read. It doesn't matter if you're reading James Joyce or James and the Giant Peach. People who read more read better. If you want to read nothing but sports stories, I'll give you an example of this actually. I had a little boy when I was teaching second grade, Kiara, and Kiara's first grade teacher told me, Kiara don't know nothing. Well, thank you for that. Kiara, who don't know nothing, comes into my classroom one day and says, hey, Miss Bissell, Barkley last night had 18 points and 16 boards. I'm like, thank you, Kiara, because Mm -hmm. from that Point forward, Kiara, every day after lunch, I'd sit Kiara on my lap and we'd read the LA Times sports page. And wouldn't you know it, by the end of the year, one of my best readers and all that kid ever read about was sports. Now, do I think Shakespeare's important? Yeah, sure. But you got to get the kid hooked first. This is something I share with parents all the time. The little boy who only reads Captain Underpants is going to become a better reader than the little boy who refuses to read anything. Captain Underpants is our gateway drug to Shakespeare, but you got to get the kid hooked first. Go for it, Jeanette. No, I was going to say, that's one of the books that is banned in one of the states. Without banning books, it's idiotic to me to ban any types of books. If you really want to interest a kid in something, ban it, because now they're completely interested in it. It's basic psychology. I've never understood why people don't look at basic psychology. My entire goal in life, Jeanette, is to write a book that gets banned because it'll sell a million copies that way. The most banned book in American public schools the last 25 years has been Harry Potter. And thank goodness, because there's no way we should allow young children to stand outside a bookstore at midnight waiting to buy a 900-page book that they want to read in two days. What's society coming to? For my friends that have the problem with Harry Potter, I like to remind them that without Harry Potter, we don't get the renewed interest in the Chronicles. This amazing thing between their ears, we should let them use it from time to time. We shouldn't censor any books. What we're trying to do is to get kids excited. I actually have a policy. So when a parent tells me they don't want me reading a certain book in the class, guess what I do? I don't read it. Heck, there's over 4 million books published in English last year. Believe me, there's something I can find that this kid's interested in without offending their parent. I'm not going to battle a parent. I believe parents have rights. I have no problem with that. I also don't believe that one parent should have the right to censor a book that no kids now have access to. I think that's ridiculous. It's short-sighted and it's actually something out of George Orwell. This book is banned, okay? It's one of the banned books. It's a fascist type of practice. Don't forget that Hitler and the Nazis, the first thing they did is they burned all the books in the libraries. You don't want... Exactly. If you look at some of the books that are banned every year, one of the most popular books is Little Red Riding Hood. One of the things she brings to her grandma is a bottle of wine. I find it's very dangerous for me to apply my own values to everybody else. I really wish we'd have more of this discussion in the United States. This is what makes us great is we're all different. If we were all the same, the pandemic would have wiped us out. 
but we're different. They call America a melting pot. I'm like, America's not a melting pot. America is a salad bowl. We all bring our own flavor and it makes the overall much, much better. I, I really wish people would look at it from a positive point of view rather than the negativity that we focus on all the time. I like the comparison of a salad. It blends together. Every ingredient actually brings something to that salad to make it taste good. You can bring your own spices, your dressing, and make it your own. You mentioned one of my favorite actors is Denzel Washington. I was actually offended once because... I heard somebody describe him as a great African-American actor. I'm like, what's that all about? He's just a great actor. Let's get race out of it. He's great. Can we all just accept that? <laughs> well, the reality is that he doesn't even have to say anything. They could do a shot of Denzel from behind. I agree. I completely agree. I'm like, that guy's the bomb. Can we just enjoy Actually, this is what we need to do. We have to have intelligent conversations, be able to laugh about these things because uh, people are getting way too serious. There's been a rise in book clubs. Mm -hmm. across the U.S. I am a member of a book club and we have a tremendous amount of opportunities for reading different subject matters and different authors. It's been the most wonderful thing that I've done in a long time. What I enjoy most about being part of a book club is the input and the, the perspectives of what each member's takeaways are from the same reading. One member of the club may take a passage a certain way, and then another might say, I didn't really see it that way, but this is the way I saw it. And, and that informed the reading for the rest of the book. I just love that. I'm a highly spiritual person. Every single night, Jeanette, I have a simple prayer. I say, dear Lord, please let Oprah read one of my books and just talk about it on her show. Because Oprah's done so much. Now you have Reese Witherspoon has her group. You got all these book clubs. And I, I like to be fun with my different book clubs. So like I used to have a book club and we would choose the books based on a different type of alcohol that was featured in the book. And we'd all have our book club meeting and drink the drink. Unfortunately, I seem to be the only person who ever uh, actually read the book. Most of them just came for the drinks. But uh, you can make it fun like that. One of the things I do to get a lot of adults interested in reading, why do you have to read that long book? I'll go to either the children's section at Barnes and Noble or the children's section at the library and I'll read a whole bunch of biographies that are 32 pages with lots of pictures. All of a sudden I have a whole bunch of facts at my fingertips. Did you know Elon Musk actually immigrated here from South Africa via Canada? And people are like, wow, you must have read that Walter Isaacson book. I'm like, no, I read this picture book. It was 32 pages. Jackie Robinson was one of the people I had read about like that. I read a picture book on Jackie Robinson. I was like, huh. He's a pretty interesting dude. So then I read a young adult version, and now I've read nine books on Jackie Robinson. He's a fascinating guy, and I wouldn't have gotten that if I hadn't read the kids' book. So that's really the strategy I share with parents, is if you don't like reading, that's one of the reasons I love biographies. But what, I, what drives me nuts is I'll be reading a biography on President Teddy Roosevelt, and it'll say, okay, chapter one, page one, chapter two, page 119. Oh. I got to read 118 pages. John Grisham, he's smart. His books, you'll be on page 120. You're already on chapter 80. And it's smart because when you're reading the book, it's 10 o'clock at night. And you're like, okay, I'm going to stop reading. And then the chapter ends. And then he found the knife. And you're like, I'll read another chapter because they're so short. But then the next chapter is about something else going on. And before you know it, it's two in the morning. You've read the entire book because yeah. he knows how to keep your attention. So. It must have something to do with his style of writing, though, because I learned that he has a very prescribed way and very organized way of actually writing his book. He sits down. He has a, a certain time frame. And he just does it and gets it done, submits it, and moves on. Yeah. You know? I wrote a book. It's called Blissful Leadership. Great title. Great title. Make sure I get a copy. 
I have one of the top reading clubs online called LazyReaders.com. It's a free subscription. Every month I, I give 10 new recommendations, three or four adult level, three or four young adult level, and three or four children's level books, all under 250 pages. For people like me who don't want to read these Dostoevsky-like thousand yeah. right. novels. It takes a, a bit of discipline. In any way, you can get it. Everybody has a different process. Uh, Roland uh, Smith, he's a great young adult author. He used to actually work at the Portland Zoo in Portland, Oregon. He's like the world's foremost authority on the Red Wolf. He wrote this great book called Peak, which after you read that, you have no interest in climbing Mount Everest. We were speaking at an event together, and he said something. I love this, Jeanette. He said, to my friends, they say, oh, if I just had a cabin up in the mountains, I'd write my book. He's like, if I had a cabin up in the mountains, I'd be looking out the window at the mountains all day. And so what he does is he has a big notepad, and whenever he's waiting, he's writing. So if he's waiting for the subway... For 10 minutes, he's just sitting there writing on his notepad. If he's at the doctor's office, he has his notepad. If he's waiting to get on an airplane. And I'm like, wow, that's an interesting strategy. Again, it's a different strokes for different folks. Everybody's a little bit different. Yeah, uh, no doubt. No doubt. I had a guest on the show sometime last year, and she had this phrase she used called bending time. And in a sense, it can take different formats for different people. But bending time in her reference is about just looking at the elephant and deciding you're just going to eat the whole damn thing yeah. <laughs> and get it done. When you do, you have a lot of time that you can do other things. Then the other side of the equation for me is taking time like that gentleman and saying, I have this moment. Why not leverage it? Make it productive. I had a meeting with UNICEF about two months ago. We're a partner with UNICEF. And one of my goals, it's actually ironic, I'm running the North American part of the company because when Dearman and I met, I said, I'm actually most interested in Africa, India, Pakistan, and Indonesia. That's half the world's population right there. So when I was talking to UNICEF, I said, my dream is that every kid in Africa has a, a solar-powered cell phone. And think about what we can do with that. So kids are really amazing because they're very honest. One of the things that we have every day is we ask the kid, how do you feel? And if the kid says they're like sad or they're angry, we have videos and the videos change every day. And it shows, oh, you're not alone. A lot of people feel sad. Here are some strategies, which is really important now more than ever, especially with the pandemic, we found the well-being of children. How do we help the well-being and teach them some strategies? But think about that, Jeanette. I can actually ask a question on there, have you had breakfast? If there's some village where a lot of kids aren't eating breakfast, now UNICEF knows where we need to send the food. This is just the tip of the ice, but there's so many different things. We can monitor, this kind of goes to what you were talking about earlier. We can tell you how often the kids are online, what times a day they're online. All these other social media companies, they sell advertising. We don't sell advertising at all. What we do is we, we prepare quarterly reports for the school and we give them a rating on the well-being of the students. This is one of the opportunities I see here in America too. I've been talking to different police departments and I said, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a cop. Now every kid wants to shoot a cop. We need to do something about this. So let's say every day we're asking the kids, how are you feeling? And the kid keeps on saying they're angry. Now I can talk to the police department and say, at this school, 60% of the kids are saying they're angry all the time. Maybe we need to do some assemblies and some training here to prevent the school shooting from happening because there's something going on at this school. There's possibilities like this. I'm an optimist. I always try and find the good in, in society and the good in people. Earl Nightingale used to say, thoughts are things, whatever you think about, you become. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I stopped watching the news because we're <laughs> 
TV show out there is it's depressing. I watch sports. My wife's like, why do you like sports? I'm like, because at any given moment, something amazing can happen. You never know. So that's how I'm spending a lot of my time. Before the pandemic, I actually told my wife, maybe I should just work in August because almost every day in August, I'm speaking to different school districts, pumping up the teachers so that they won't quit. Because I always joke with school districts, I'm like, they bring me three times a year, the beginning of the year to pump everybody up, the middle of the year to keep them pumped, and the end of the year to keep them from quitting. Not easy out there. When I was a middle school teacher, I was the only teacher at my school that none of my kids were ever tardy. And it was because I always started class by reading aloud a Paul Harvey story. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I grew up listening to Paul Harvey on the radio. Every day he'd come on at 12, 15, he'd be like, I'm Paul Harvey. Yeah, the whole time you're trying to guess who's he talking about or what, what it is. A lot of those stories are a little dated now, Jeanette. He's talking about like Sears Roebuck and kids today, they don't even know what Sears Roebuck is. So I wanted to do an updated version to get the kids. Here, I'll, I'll read you. This is a quick one. This is to get kids pumped up about reading. So I write, on the morning of January 17th, 1977, Gary Gilmore, in a plain t-shirt, strapped into a chair with a bag over his head, awaited a firing squad of five law enforcement officers to execute him at the state prison in Draper, Utah. Convicted of murdering a gas station employee and motel manager in Utah the year before, Gilmore would be the first person in the United States to be executed in nearly a decade. Shortly before his execution, prison officials asked Gilmore if he had any last words. Neither he nor anyone else that day would know the impact of those words. Over 10 years later, in 1988, Dan Whedon, an advertising executive who co-founded the Whedon and Kennedy Agency in Portland, Oregon, made something of a morbid pitch to a struggling fashion company. He recalled the final words and used a slight variation for his pitch, and seemingly everyone hated his idea for the company's new slogan. Trust me on this one, Whedon implored the company's co-founder, and the co-founder, his company, and the public have not looked back since. The co-founder's name was Phil Knight. The struggling brand he co-founded was a shoe company called Nike, and advertising executive Dan Whedon slightly altered death row inmate Gary Gilmore's final words, let's do it, into the phrase, just do it. So wow. those were the, yeah. But the weird thing is, after I wrote this book, Jeanette, I, I read it. And completely unintentionally, so many of my stories in this book are of white male Americans. And I was like, wow, that's completely unintentionally. So the book I'm writing right now, most of the stories feature female, minorities, and international examples. I'm having a blast writing this book because there's all kinds of stories. I'm like, oh, kids need to hear this story and this story. I can read this to a group full of adults. I was doing a corporation a couple of weeks ago and all these executives are sitting there leaning in because they're trying to figure out who I'm talking about. Everybody needs inspiration. That's why you need to stop watching the news. It doesn't serve you. What are some positive stories? I'll watch CBS Sunday morning because Steve Hartman has the greatest job in the world. This inspiring story from somewhere in America. Thoughts are things. You, you hear positive things. You start to see the world in a better way. Mm -hmm. You always hear the negative. I see these people yelling all the time. When I was in second grade, I'll never forget the sister. She told me, she's, oh, Danny, when you're yelling, it just means you're losing your argument. <laughs> I remember that all these years later. I'm like, yeah. oh, there's a lot of truth to what she said. <laughs> you, you, you know, you have to take notice. You really do. And yeah. you have to be selective of what you give your attention to and your time to, because sure. it's easy to be sucked in. I, I have to admit, I this is terrible to say, but I don't watch the local news. I, sure. yeah, I don't know what the hell's going on in Phoenix. 
My girlfriend called me and said, Janet, are you okay? I said, what, what's going on? She said, they had a sniper in Phoenix downtown. I said, oh, okay, thank you for telling me. She lives in South Carolina. I'd like to stay updated on the political side of things so I have an understanding of how we will be impacted by certain decisions that are being made by the folks who are in the position to make those kind of decisions that affect us all. Yeah, I completely agree. But you don't want to become so obsessed. I have an uncle and he watches cable news 24 hours a day. And I I, I ribbed him recently. I said, uh, has the president called you yet? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you're so well informed. I figured he had to get advice from you. I don't have that kind of time, nor would I want to. <laughs> I'm just not that person. But at least to say somewhat informed about some of the things that are, are happening in the world. I like the idea of your next book being more diverse in terms of the people that you are actually highlighting, females, different ethnic backgrounds from different countries. I think that would be most interesting. So you have the melting pot and the leadership begins with motivation and you have to sell it with the new book. <laughs> One of my goals is to show parents some simple strategies. The strategies I share with people, I've worked with so many illiterate parents, but if they do these things and they don't even have to read, they can just show the pictures, but just sharing those experiences with their kids. It's interesting because the kids start to learn how to read and then kids start to notice that mom and dad actually don't know how to read. Yeah. But then yeah. maybe we can figure out a way to help them on that. And that's positive. I want to be inspired. This is so important to me, Jeanette. People need to hear lots of different diverse stories mm-hmm. because when I was speaking in India, I was speaking to these girls' schools and the girls were so inspired. And I tell my friends, I'm like, but think about how much more inspired they'd be if I was a woman and more inspired, they'd be if I was an Indian woman. There you go. Kids need to see, and I'm not saying you have to, but you need yeah. to have. Representation goes, Makes yeah. us a lot more interesting. No, it goes a long way. I think that's one of the reasons why Oprah has been so successful in having impact and informing other women of color, let's just say, that they are worthy. They are worthy and they are capable of doing great things. And I love her story. I'm not including her story in the book just because everybody knows Oprah, but I'm like, my gosh, you talk about a person with every strike against you and just overcoming and man god done good for her <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, 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 we're going to wrap it up in a second yeah. but just hitting on all of these little nuggets here the other day i was doing some reflection actually it was um, sunday morning <laughs> sunday morning reflections and i thought about the things that have gone right in my particular life things that didn't go as expected or where i made a poor choice or decision And for some reason, I thought about Oprah and I thought about the life that she had and some of the choices that she made early on that were not um, ever going to serve her well. But in spite of all of that, she is who she is today. And that gave me some inspiration. It did, because it's easy to look back and think, oh my gosh, why did I make that decision? That was so stupid of me. I must be stupid or ignorant or what have you. But the reality is life. When things will happen, you make decisions along the way that may or may not serve you. And you've got to own it. You've got to look at the learnings from it and move on and to become who you want to truly be in your life. So I I thought about Oprah for some reason. And now your audience can think about you, Jeanette. You are who you are because you've made a lot of choices. And that's what makes you a role model. If you did everything perfect, Nobody can relate to that. That's the first thing I teach people when I'm teaching them how to speak. I'm like, don't share your successes, share your failures, because not everybody in your audience has succeeded. But the more you show that you're a human being and you fail, but every time you fell down, you were able to get back up. That's why people love Rocky. It's not because Rocky's the best boxer. It's because he gets his butt kicked 
but he keeps on Apollo Creed. Man, this guy just won't quit. That's why you love Rocky. Muhammad Ali was a great champion because he lost to Joe Frazier. Right. What did he do? He fought him again. All of us make mistakes. That's the danger of social media. I try to be intentional and post a lot of the negative things happen in my life, not just me and Barbados. It's ridiculous what people posting. And, and meanwhile, inside, they're actually hurting. But I know we got to go, Jeanette, but I wanted to give you and your audience a gift for joining me today and listening to me. If you go to freegiftfromdanny.com, again, freegiftfromdanny.com, I want to give everybody a complimentary e-copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed. This is a book I wrote for a school principal who was trying to keep his faculty and staff positively engaged. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. So every week I give you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's picture book recommendation, demonstrates the same concept. You can read that in five minutes. And then I'm also going to give everybody access to a five-day reading challenge I did online last summer for about 700 parents around the world, where every day for an hour for five consecutive days, I give you all kinds of strategies on how to get your kids more excited about reading. Because the more excited your kids are to read, the more likely they are to read, and the more you read the better you get. That's a free gift from Danny.com. And I just want to thank you so much for having me today and for all that you do, Jeanette. You've inspired me. I love it. I really appreciate you being a guest on my show. I read your bio and I thought to myself, there's so much value in what you do and the mission that you're on to serve not only the community that you're in, but the world community. And for that, I give you major kudos. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Next Chapter Experience. If you have already subscribed, rated, and left a review, or shared this podcast with a friend, many, many thanks. For questions, comments, or feedback, reach out to me at Jeanette Lissette at nextchapterexperience.com. We'll be back with more conversations, so until then, keep that fire burning.